This is The Guardian. Today, it's nearing the end of MPs' summer holidays, and they'll be returning to the grandeur of the Palace of Westminster, a place that, below the surface, is riddled with rats and at constant risk of fire and floods. We take you inside the bowels of democracy. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Houses of Parliament stand totemic beside the River Thames a neo-Gothic, grand and gilded affair of intricate detail. Over a thousand rooms, seven floors, 100 staircases and a commons chamber, where MPs battle out the laws that govern all our lives. It's the symbol of the state of our great nation. glamour of walking in through the bins. <laughs> there is a whole load of scaffolding with kind of bits of iron sheets just in case bits of masonry fall off the building and land on people. Have you ever worked in here in a time when there hasn't been scaffolding all around? I don't think any MP, even the ones who've been here for 40 years, have ever seen that. It just moves. Westminster is falling apart. And Peter Walker, the Guardian's deputy political editor, and I, have been given special access to see what most MPs don't. Okay, so we're just going to put on our hard hats to go in through here. To travel into the depths of the buildings, where the hidden and most serious dangers lie. Okay, so we're walking through a door now, which is a putty-coloured, you might say, elephant's breath, if you're of the farrow and bull (laughs) inclination. But it does worryingly have a sign on it that says, Danger Asbestos. There's basically decades and decades and decades of pipes and wires. There's ones which look like they're basically put together with... (laughs) Chicken wire. Chicken wire and kind of kitchen foil. Since 2016, there have been 44 fire incidents in the Palace of Westminster. Fire wardens now patrol the buildings 24 hours a day, every day. It's costing taxpayers up to £2 million every week just to keep these buildings open in their current rotting state. And this is where Peter works most days. I remember coming in here over winter at some point and you were wrapped up in two coats, one around you, one on your knees. I think you might have had a hot water bottle. And I also think there might have been a bucket on the floor in here last time I came in to catch some some rainwater that was coming through the roof. You can actually see the water staining in that light fitting. This is a UNESCO World Heritage Site that more than a million people visit every year, and it belongs to all of us. But it's MPs and peers who will decide whether and how it's restored. Doing nothing could mean losing the palace altogether. 
back in 2016, a joint committee said the crisis is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when and what happens. By the end of this year, a team of restoration and renewal experts is due to present their proposals on how to repair the buildings. They'll give MPs two choices, either to stay in the building while the work's done around them or to move out so that it can be done more quickly. With a general election on the horizon, will MPs be bold enough to sign off on work that will take decades and cost their voters billions of pounds? From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus. Fires, asbestos, floods and rats. Welcome to the Palace of Westminster. Dr Alexandra Meakin, you're a lecturer in British politics at the University of Leeds and you're a specialist in the renewal and restoration of Parliament. You've been writing about it for years. Can you take me back to the first time that you visited Westminster? What did you make of it? I was in awe of the place. You know, the palace is an incredible building. You know, I was a a 19-year-old student. I was like, wow, this is an amazing place. You know, it's the centre of British politics. And you get taken in by the grandeur, by the majesty of the building. I actually worked in Parliament for well over a decade. And it's really only sort of once you're you're working in, in the depths of it that you really see what a state the building is in. What were some of the things that you had to get used to working in there? So you're working in a building that is a tourist attraction. So, you know, just fighting your way into the building is something, you know, with all the tourists and people coming there. But, you know, when you're working there, you kind of just, you're like, okay, do I have sewage leaking on me? Are the mice going to eat my lunch? So it's it's those kind of uh, sort of day-to-day irritations. But the fascinating thing about Parliament is that for thousands of people, it is their day-to-day place that they go to work. You know, not just clerks and researchers and library staff, but also, you know, the catering staff the cleaning staff, the heritage staff, the people who work in the gym and the hairdresser. Well, that's the thing. It is a village unto itself, isn't it? Absolutely. And there's a danger when we talk about the Palace of Westminster, we're thinking only about the 650 MPs on the green benches. Well, what about, you know, the thousands of other people who are using the building every day who are putting up with a lot of risk? And also for the people who might want to work in Parliament, but can't because it's physically inaccessible to them because of the appalling disability access in the building. Mm, Right. Yeah. Lots of things for us to get into. What are the main safety risks for people being in there at the moment? The main problem, the absolutely fundamental issue, is that the mechanical electrical infrastructure that serves the building is now decades out of date. At the moment, it's at risk of just completely failing. And that could culminate in a flood. It could be a massive sewage leak or most scary would be culminating in a fire and then we could lose the building entirely. Now there are people every day in Parliament doing incredible work just to try and stop the minor fires that break out all the time from taking hold. There are fire wardens patrolling the building all the time. We know that uh, tens of millions has been spent on fire safety but they have to do it to keep the building open at the moment. And taxpayers are paying for that? 
absolutely and that's you know a huge amount of money we're, we're talking 100 million pounds a year just to try again to keep the building open so when um you know people talk about the huge cost of restoration real and it will cost billions we have to think about the cost of doing nothing and it's we're over 10 years now since restoration and renewal officially sort of started early 2012 when the first plans were made back in 2012 people weren't worried about the fabric of the buildings now over the last few years we've seen more and more instances of huge lumps of masonry falling off the palace of westminster and some of the outbuildings in parliament as well so there's going to be more and more things like that as the building continues to fail has anybody been injured in those masonry falls no, by luck. So Andrea Ledsom, who was the, the leader of the Commons at the time, said it's just pure luck that nobody has been killed or injured. And operating on luck is absolutely no way to proceed. We would not be forgiven if one of those incidents had caused significant harm to a visitor or a member of staff. You know, there was a, a football-sized lump of stonework that fell off the Victoria Tower, you know, onto the pavement outside. That could just be anybody walking along. How did it get to this state? Nobody wants to have to deal with the state of the Palace of Westminster because for MPs, nobody gets elected to say, I want to fix Parliament. They're there to, to work for their constituents. And they actually legislated to push it out to an independent body because they said, we can't be trusted to take this decision because we can't sort of think in that really long-term way. And then, you know, 18 months later, they pulled it all back in-house because they didn't like what the independent body was saying or what they were coming up with. With. So for years and years and years, there's always been a tendency to put off making the decision because it's going to cost too much money, because it's too politically sensitive. It's we'll wait until after the next general election. We can't do it now because of the pandemic. We can't do it now because of the cost of living crisis. You know, there's never been a good time and there never will be a good time to spend this money. So all MPs are aware that these buildings are crumbling around them, that there's a potential fire risk, that there's asbestos, but some are being very resistant to change. Can you just outline for me what the arguments are around this? You know, when you interview MPs, what do they say? And which of them are particularly opposed to moving out? So obviously the cost, you know, is a factor there. Another reason is that MPs feel really strongly about sitting on the green benches in the Commons Chamber, about sitting where their predecessors did. This is a citadel of our democracy. This is what, for many people in the world, this democracy is about, this building. So and Sir Edward Lee um, really is an opponent of moving out entirely. And he's very knowledgeable about restoration renewal. His argument is that if they move out, then huge changes will be made and that they'll come back to either not be allowed back in at all or they'll come back to a modern parliamentary building, that things won't be the same. We don't want a permanent replica chamber created at vast cost. We don't want to surrender our fate to an army of consultants and architects to leave this place and to be out of this place for five or ten years. And he says, well, why would you spend billions of pounds if, to rebuild it exactly as it is? 
so he thinks that there is this plot to to change what parliament is like and to take away that essential essence that is Westminster. And then another MP who is notable for saying that he doesn't want to move out while the work's done is Jacob Rees-Mogg. Sir Jacob, as he is now, I think. He was leader of the, the House of Commons uh, for a significant period. And during that time, it's it's fair to say that the Restoration Renewal Programme went backwards because of his unwillingness to move out. And so his argument is that the decant is unnecessary. And we as members of Parliament have a responsibility to our constituents when their money is being spent to accept that whilst great um, reforms, restorations are taking place, we may have to put up with a little bit of discomfort. There may be occasionally a little bit of banging. Which ignores the fact that every single study that has been done, and many have been done, show that not moving out will cost far more, take years, decades longer, and be far riskier. How long would each option take and how much would they cost? So if they don't move out, the estimate is that the work would take up to 76 years. If they moved out entirely, the work could take up to 28 years. So you're looking at nearly half a century more just so that they could remain in Parliament. The cost would also go up from £13 as a maximum if they didn't move out, up to £22 So again, you're looking at nearly like double that cost there. So it's a huge, huge increase, both in the time spent to do the work and the cost of it. So on either of those timescales, 28 years if they move out of the building... 76 years if they stay in the building, obviously those are estimates. The majority of MPs are not still going to be MPs by the end of either of those terms, are they? So really what they're being asked to make a decision on is for the future of this building, which, you know, after all, belongs to the nation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of these MPs won't still be MPs when the the work even starts. You know, it's it's not even going to be relevant for them. (laughs) Order! Order! When they last had a formal vote on restoration renewal on what they're going to do, the government at the time, it was Theresa May's government, back in 2018, were pushing for the idea of not moving out. And surprisingly, by just a handful of votes, the idea of full decant won. The eyes to the right, 236. The nose to the left, 220. They said, we will move out entirely to do this work. One of the reasons we're now having all these discussions once again is because there's a constitutional convention that no parliament can bind its successor. So each lot of MPs can make decisions afresh. They do not have to be bound by what their predecessors say. But the problem with Restoration Renewal is to say, best case, this is going to take three decades. So if you're revisiting it after every single general election, you're never, ever going to get anything done. Over the years, there have been several different bodies in charge of working out possible plans to restore the palace. The last was that independent body that Alexandra mentioned. That was disbanded at the start of this year and 
a new group, now made up of MPs, was set up. Nigel Evans, you're the Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons. You're the Conservative MP for Ribble Valley in Lancashire, and you're also the chair of this new board. You've worked in Westminster since 1992. Can you think of a time in those more than 30 years where the condition of the buildings in the Palace of Westminster has really interfered with your ability to do your job? Uh, Only on one occasion when uh, the chamber had to uh, be closed because we uh, had uh, water coming in. Somebody might say there's a leak in Parliament at the moment, so we'll take it from there, just in back. And that was just a a couple of years ago. Thank you, uh, Mr Deputy Speaker. I hope I can complete my speech before rain stops play. It took us about 24 hours to sort that out. probably some kind of symbol about how many people view how broken Parliament is going on there, but let's return to the matter in hand. And also we've got the fire alarms going off all the time as well. Uh, Fortunately, the vast majority of them are false alarms. Uh, And so that interferes with our everyday working as well. Uh, and of course, we do get the odd rodents roaming around and we've seen them uh, in parts of the building where you prefer not to see them. Um, I've even seen the speaker come in with his cat uh, just to try and deter any of the rodents coming into the tea room. You can't carry on uh, in, in that sort of way. And if we don't do something, then it's just going to deteriorate and get worse and probably interfere a lot more with the workings of our parliament. How frustrated are you about how slowly this has been going? Yeah, I, I can remember uh, talking about the repairs and restoration of Parliament um, o- over a decade ago. But we have got on with some things. But the major restoration has yet to begin. And at the moment, the uh, Delivery Authority are drilling down on the costs. So we've got a much, much better idea as to exactly how much each of the options is going to cost. And also, we've got a lot of surveys that are being done at the moment. And we've had drones flying around the place. Uh, And uh, so uh, all of these surveys are going to help better inform the Delivery Authority. But MPs voted on this back in 2018 when Theresa May was Prime Minister and narrowly voted in favour of moving out to let the restoration be done. How did you vote that time? Do you know, I can't remember. Uh, I mean, there was a bit of me, to be honest, that uh, always wanted us to stay in. Looking now, so do, at so it, do you think you probably voted to stay in? I suspect I did vote that way, yes. But the more I've looked at it, the more I do appreciate how difficult staying in will be. Um, mm, but the fact and is, how expensive? Uh, very expensive indeed. You've got a few very vocal members of your party who are saying we must not move out. We can't be in another building while this work is done. What sense do you get more broadly of how MPs are feeling about this? One of the biggest fears, I've got to uh, be honest with you, is that some people believe that if we move out, we'll never move back in. Uh, And I don't see that, quite frankly. Uh, The the one big question mark, of course, is if we do do a full decant, then where are we going to go? Because uh, unless members of parliament know if we do do a full decant, where are we going to go, then they're less likely to uh, go with that option. I think they'll want as much information as they possibly can before they make the final decision. So we're walking out now into Westminster Hall, which, you know, if you ever see Parliament on TV, you'll recognise this space. Yeah, this is the most ancient part of the palace, with this amazing, you know, hundreds and nearly a thousand-year-old vaulted roof, wooden vaulted roof. 
when the Queen died, it was where the lying in state was. And you can hear that it's absolutely buzzing with people at the moment, tourist groups, school children with these audio headsets on. And this place gets about a million visitors a year. And I sometimes use it as a cut through, not because it's quicker, just because it's so beautiful. I just love walking through it. Alexandra, tell me about the history of the Palace of Westminster. Why was it designed as it was? It was built as a royal palace in the 11th century. And the reason that we have MPs sitting facing each other is because of its history as a chapel from sitting in those sort of choir stools. So, so much of the way our politics has developed, you know, the things that we are used to that seem normal to us, is based just on that history of the building. And then in 1834, the old palace as it was burnt down after decades of warning that it was going to burn down. You know, it all feels very familiar. And then at the time they said, we'll rebuild it. And they had a very sort of similar structure and style as they had previously, designed more as a private members club rather than as a mass democratic institution. Because, you know, at the time women weren't voting. So it was a parliament reflecting the politics of that sort of mid-19th century. And as Mr Churchill noted, it was one of the last bombs of the night that hit the House of Commons. Sunday morning revealed the chamber as an empty shell. And then in the Second World War, when the palace was bombed, Churchill made a a big thing of, we're going to rebuild exactly as it is. We're not going to change. The finest carvers in the country put their hearts and minds into what was to them a labour of love. Craftsmen every one, they were proud of a skill handed down to them through centuries. They worked on this task for nearly three years. So there's this history of always keeping the palace as it was, rather than ever sort of thinking afresh, thinking, you know, what might be the best way to design an institution that everybody feels welcome, that is conducive to having, you know, a constructive style of politics. And now, you know, constantly when these debates are happening, people invoke Churchill. You can't have a discussion about Parliament without mentioning Churchill. Right. Well, I'm glad we've got our mentioning. Um, (laughs) Even just walking down the corridors... You know, you see these huge portraits of male MPs from across the generations. And I was really struck by that when I was there the other day. I didn't see a single picture of a woman. Yeah. In some of the broader portcullis house, some of the more modern buildings, there have been really good efforts made to diversify the artwork. And you can see a difference there. But in the palace itself, you know, there is, say, a tendency just to have these incredible portraits of past parliamentarians who primarily are male. And it really does have an effect, particularly on younger female MPs who get elected. And they're in this building and they're suddenly feeling like, imposter syndrome of, you know, I I don't look like past parliamentarians. I'm not supposed to be here. When I first came in into parliament, I felt, oh, this isn't really a place for me. Why did you feel like you didn't belong there? Because I I, I didn't go to to one of those schools. I didn't go to one of those universities that looks like parliament. Um, If you went to, you know, a very historic public school, you might feel more comfortable in the palace and, and its environs. So, Peter, the format of this building 
the way it looks, the architecture is so beautiful, but so imposing. And I could imagine it puts some people off because you go into these huge chambers, um, you see the stained glass and you think, oh, it's, it's a beautiful place to visit. I don't know how I would fit in here. It's built into the unconscious fabric of the institution. And I think this is interestingly one of the reasons why some MPs are so wary of moving out. Because if you move into a kind of 1970s conference centre, then the idea of having uh, doorkeepers in white ties and tailcoats would seem ludicrous. And a lot of the other traditions would seem ludicrous. And when you came back to the Commons in 20 years' time, they might seem odd as well. So a lot of the traditions might disappear. That might make it more welcoming for other people. But some MPs are a bit wary of wanting to give all that up. Now through a rather more grand wooden door. I have no idea where this is going to end up. Dark wood. And oh, out yeah. into... <gasps> this this looks familiar. This gallery. I had no idea this door went here. This is in the main... It's right in one of the central bits of the main Victorian palace. But we have this slightly uh, grotty, uh, tattily carpeted, windowless staircase that goes up many, many floors. I try and do it uh, a few times every day just to keep fit. Uh, and this is the entrance to the press gallery corridor, which is considerably less glamorous than anyone could imagine. When I was in there recently, I was looking at, you know, just how many steps there are. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's not very accessible or welcoming to everybody, is it? Absolutely not. If you have a mobility impairment, it is absolutely terrible to get round. If you were an MP who uses a wheelchair, you wouldn't be able to speak from the dispatch box. You know, there simply isn't the room for that. MPs and peers who have visual impairments really struggle in the building as well. Um, you know, it's very dark. It's difficult to navigate. Visitors who are neurodiverse struggle as well with the acoustics in the building, with the busyness. And because of, you know, the heritage of it, you know, it's very hard to make it more accessible. And this matters because at the moment, the pure design of the building is limiting who gets to be an MP, who gets to make decisions, who gets to create laws for all of us. Completely. You know, we're not hearing uh, from everybody because, you know, they know the building isn't accessible to them or because they feel that the building isn't for them at all. It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which, as you say, limits what can be done to the existing buildings. The public have been consulted about what they would like to happen. What kinds of things have people said? They're furious that MPs are letting this icon of the United Kingdom, of our history, fall into such disrepair. They're not seeing it like MPs' expenses. And that's that big fear of MPs, that it'll just be seen as feathering their nest. They see it as, you know, protecting as you would any other historic building. So they want the building to be saved. They want it to be more accessible. They think it should be more inclusive. You know, they don't want money to be wasted, but they do want action to be taken. It's a big opportunity, really, isn't it, to configure what our parliament should be. And over the years, people have made the argument that it shouldn't even be in London. Why couldn't we build a new modern building somewhere else in the country? Where has that debate got to? 
that's something that comes up every time we have these discussions about restoration renewal and there's a few major obstacles to it the first one is practical you know our system of parliamentary democracy is based on having parliament and government physically next to each other so the idea that your prime minister could go straight from downing street into parliament and back again that ministers can move between their whitehall departments and the palace of westminster so if you wanted to move parliament away from London, you would need to move government at the same time. You could do that if you wanted to do that. I live in the north. If you wanted to move the capital of the UK to Sheffield or Leeds or any other lovely part of Yorkshire, I think that's a fantastic idea. (laughs) Specifically Yorkshire. (laughs) Absolutely. It's the, the greatest part of the country. You need to move it wholesale. You can't just move parliament on its own. So... If you want to have a discussion about moving the capital, I think it's a really worthwhile discussion to do, but it's not just as simple as as moving Parliament. Nigel, the decision has been taken to stay in Westminster, but people listening to this might think, well, well, why is it necessary for Parliament to be in London at all? And one suggestion, of course, is that it be moved to Ribble Valley, which is the geographical centre of, of Great Britain. And of, of, of course, your constituency. I mean, that would make things very convenient for you, wouldn't it? For a start? <laughs> oh, Hannah. <laughs> How delightful. You've done your homework. Um, I have to say, though, uh, I, I'm at Westminster talking to you now and um, we call it the mother of Parliament's. I just think that it's almost unfathomable for me to think that our democracy would sit in some sort of sterile chamber somewhere, even in the beautiful valley of the Ribble Valley. It need not be sterile, but there are very clear problems around accessibility. There are clear things that need to be reformed about the buildings, aren't there? Oh, absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah, we get uh, constituents who are Uh, coming in in wheelchairs and then we have to think differently as to where all the lifts are in order to be able to properly show them around but under Mm. both the options that we're giving we're going to see the amount of accessibility increase to about 70 percent of the building and I think that's pretty good. What would your ideal parliament look like? What would you keep of the current building and what would you bring to a new one? Um, To a reformed one? Yeah um I visited lots of parliaments around the world. I was actually, you know, when we were talking to some Canadian member of parliament, she stopped the meeting when she was chatting to us and she said, oh, if you could hold on a minute. And she got a phone out and she said, I just have to vote. And she voted on her phone. And mm. I've always said that we should continue to get into the lobbies and to vote physically together with your fellow members of parliament, some of them ministers, ministers without civil servants, so you can pin them against a wall and say, why are you trying to close my hospital or a school? Or why can't you provide more money for something that I want in my patch? Is Metaphorically pinning, I, I assume. Oh, no, I've seen people being pushed against a wall. Wow, wow. <laughs> I've actually seen that in the past, but you don't, get, you don't tend to get that uh, anymore because people are, are, are way more user-friendly. But the fact is so. that being physically locked in a, a lobby for several minutes it's important to us. But obviously you'd have to bring in their measures that would make it easier for people who, you know, who can't leave their homes or can't leave their constituencies for whatever reason to vote remotely if possible. Yeah, um, well, we, we've got a, a system where they are able to have proxy voting, so people are voting on their behalf. Absolutely. Coming up, will this be the year MPs finally decide on what to do about our crumbling parliament?
Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. This is stunning, isn't it? Wow, yeah. So we're in the courtyard of, of Cloister Court now. This is somewhere I've never been to, because unless you go through this factory restoration property, you can't get to it. But again, this is a Back on the tour of Parliament with Peter Walker, the restoration and renewal team showed us a part of the estate they're really proud of that dates back to 1520. When they take MPs on this tour, they tell them to look up, and there they'll see etchings, of Henry VIII's coat of arms and of Catherine of Aragon's. This part of the palace survived the fire and the World War II bomb. And the team has started to, slowly, lovingly, restore it. What it could become. You can see the difference in the colour of the stone. This is shining, this section, and some of the stonework has been replaced as well, hasn't it? Even the windows, these incredibly kind of complicated leaded windows are completely shining and if not new then restored totally and when mps and peers come on this tour it's a bit of a wow moment really to show what what could be done with a lot of effort and it and it really is quite something particularly as we're told that some mps and even peers had never been here before much like me alexandra the restoration and renewal team are planning to by the end of this year present the options to mps for them to vote on where does it go from there The big issue there is, will we know at that point when the general election is going to be? There's the idea the general election may be in May 2024. Are MPs going to make a decision in December 2023 where they commit, in theory, £10 billion, £20 billion on the Palace of Westminster? So there's a huge question mark over whether that decision will go ahead. And if we do, what do you think is the likely 
way they're going to go? That is a really great question. We know this issue does split down party lines. Conservative MPs are far more likely to oppose moving out of Parliament than Labour MPs. While you've still got some figures like Meg Hillier and Chris Bryant on the Labour side who are you know, incredibly uh, passionate and really strong advocates of restoration renewal and moving out, I'm not sure that we'll have that sort of level of conservative support that would uh, take this forward even in a free vote um, to support the 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 full decant so i think my my view at the moment is that it's it's likely that they will um decide to stay in and to to take the decades longer and, and spend the billions of pounds more on this work alexandra thank you so much thank you so much for having me on today That was Dr. Alexandra Meakin. Thank you to her, to Peter Walker, to the Restoration and Renewal team for giving us access and a brilliant tour, and to Nigel Evans, the Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Rose DeLarabiti and sound designed by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.